Hey, welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Pastor Jeff Thune. I am here with Pastor Lucas Hattenberger. Some of you are already thinking to yourselves, where's the, the wonderful voice that I'm used to hearing on this intro? Alyssa Gabriel is sick today. Um, probably sick of both of us, Lucas, but also <laughs> apparently physically ill, or at least her child is physically ill. So we know this won't be nearly as provocative and um, enjoyable to listen to as when Alyssa is usually here. Shout out to Alyssa. Um, but today on In the Narthex, we are talking about a theology of Good Friday. Uh, maybe just start off, Lucas, and tell us what what are we talking about? What is Good Friday? Yeah, so Good Friday is coming up, um, and uh, so that's in, uh, I guess that's two and a half weeks. And so Good Friday is, is the Friday before Easter when uh, we uh, commemorate the, uh, the death of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, um, it's essentially a celebration of the cross, um, of the death that Jesus uh, experienced. Yeah, so I don't want to, uh, you know, assume that everybody understands um, why we refer to it as Good Friday. Um, Jesus Christ uh, was crucified. You say that we're celebrating that, yeah. commemorating that, but also celebrating that. Yeah. And so maybe just a, a quick word on why do we call it Good Friday um, for any listeners who are um, haven't been brought up in the church, don't have kind of a Christian background or experience, um, and would um, may, maybe not understand why that prefix to what we're what we're experiencing and commemorating. Yeah, uh, why why would we why would we celebrate a death? What is good about the excruciating, especially the way and the manner that Jesus died? Um, if you've ever read the narrative of the Passion, you know, in the Gospels, you know that there's pain, turmoil, uh, tumult uh, involved. Jesus is abandoned to die on the cross. You know, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why would we um, celebrate something like this? Um, you know, Christians all around the world, they have services uh, where they sing songs about the cross. Um, are Christians masochists? Are they, do they, do they just enjoy to see someone suffer? And uh, the, the answer is uh, no. Christians are not masochists. They don't enjoy suffering. But they do recognize that the cross is something that um, uh, that is central in the Christian life. Um, and it's good, uh, not because of the, necessarily the suffering that Jesus underwent, but because of what his suffering accomplished. Mm -hmm. So what we're celebrating is we're celebrating um, uh, the the effect of Jesus's death, which is our salvation, uh, that Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day, is uh, is the central story of the Christian uh, faith. Uh, that that Jesus died. It's it's what saves us from our sins, um, and so we're celebrating the fact that it is through Jesus that we're saved. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, we're not we're not. Um, you know, I, I think that if you've ever been to a Good Friday service, you you do understand that. There's lots of blood. There's lots of um, there's lots of gore, and I think that you know some people can get like you know oh my gosh, there's, there's just so much. Um, but I think that what we're celebrating here, what we're trying to concentrate on, is is that Jesus went through all of this to save us. Right. 
So right. you got anything to add to that, Jeff? No, I just think, I mean, uh, yeah, I appreciated the way that you frame that. And I think, uh, yeah, if you think about, okay, if, if the cross, Jesus's cross work is sort of the, the apex of the redemptive story, meaning it's it kind of all crescendos to that moment and even beyond that moment, mm-hmm. even in what it accomplished, one of the, the great things that God is still accomplishing through Christ's uh, salvific work is this gathering of his people Hmm. throughout the ages, um, you know, bringing them into his family, bringing them into his fold. Even, you know, in eternity, Hmm. we will be looking back on the cross and calling it good, calling that Friday good, calling um, what Hmm. Jesus has done for us, accomplished for us good. So, um, yeah, and one of the words I think that kind of gets thrown around in that, you know, as we're describing what did he achieve, what was the the work that he achieved, is this word atonement. Um, and atonement really is not a proper word, but a combination of three words. And, and I think this is really helpful um, if you kind of break it down at one meant. So at one meant. So God and man are becoming one once more. Um, They were at one time one with one another. Um, And what's presumed or implied in that necessary um, efficacious sort of salvific work, what's implied in there is that that, um, there was separation between God and man in some sense. And this is where we would, the scripture would commend this, um, just this doctrine of original sin that all of us, um, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So one thing that I like to do with people and just a, a kind of a flyover understanding of this is use the Romans road. It's called the Romans road sometimes, but Romans chapter three, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us, every human being, every man, woman, child, um, has in some sense not appreciated, not weighed, not uh, uh, appropriately honored the the glory of God, the weight of God, the reality of who God is, that he is creator, that he has created us, that he is to be uh, adored and acknowledged and enjoyed and not dismissed. And so all of us have fallen short of that. Well, um, certainly in doing so and dismissing God as God, Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter six that the wage, the wages of that, the wages of sin is death. What we earn for kind of turning our backs on our creator, turning our backs on God, dismissing him as God, sometimes putting ourselves and other things in the place of God. What we've earned by that is is death. We've earned separation from him. He is eternal life. He is life, um, the life giver and life sustainer. Um, the eternal life provider. And um, so what we earn in that is, is death. We, um, that's what we deserve. Um, that's the sentence that we're under, so to speak. Um, but Paul even goes on to say, uh, Romans 5, 8, if you just jump back a little bit, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So right there, he's, he's putting Jesus forth. Um, he's providing a way, an escape, uh, a rescue of sorts 
from the separation that's been caused. Um, we'll get into kind of that he is the, the primary one who initiates this, this work and the Son of God, Jesus himself, steps into it. So sin separates us from God. It merits death, um, thereby we're eternally separated from God. But the cross, um, Christ stepping into human history, um, going to a cross on Good Friday, is, is what now starts to accomplish a, a path back, um, union between God and men. Um, the separation has, has been, in a sense, broken down in Christ's body. We hear all these different references in Scripture. One of my, you know, one of my favorites, perhaps, is 1 Peter 3, 18, um, that Christ also suffered um, once for all, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's in, in, in at one, like we're at one meant, atonement. We're being brought back together with God. Um, we are, in a sense, through Christ's salvific work, if we receive that by faith, if we receive him by faith, um, the separation has been broken down and we can be at peace with God, at one with God. So um, I guess before we move on to how the cross makes that actually happen, um, it's important to stress that there, there are many theories, but one confession. And so no one theory of that atoning work is, is necessarily right in an absolute sense, but what matters is that the confession that Jesus saves through his cross work is, is paramount. It's, it's ultimate. So, um, but maybe you can talk to us a little bit on, okay, so we've described what, why Good Friday is good. We've described what um, kind of atonement, um, what that means, us being reunited, um, becoming one again with God. So talk to us a little bit now about, okay, there's different theories on what that looks like, how that actually happens. I think they're all helpful. So, so tell, tell us a little bit. Give us maybe a, an overview of theories of the atonement. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, at its base, the word atonement just means that through the cross, Jesus brings God and man back together, right? So you walk through the book of Romans and Paul kind of sketches out the problem and then he points to the answer and all throughout church history it's just important to acknowledge that there have been many ideas from different Christians who who have tried to nail down exactly what it is about the cross that unites God and man back together what what is it about the cross of Jesus Christ that brings us back into a relationship right so if the wages of sin is death and uh, Jesus dies, you know, that sort of thing. What, what, um, how does this compute? And um, so we're just going to go through um, some of the uh, most common um, positions, at least, uh, throughout church history. And we're just going to kind of walk through them. We're going to walk through uh, the good, the good that uh, in the biblical language uh, that, uh, that they borrow these, these positions from. And uh, so these are theories. In other words, they're not they're not like um, the one thing that that uh, that the cross does. But I think that these do get at, at uh, some biblical images and some uh, theology that's found in the Bible. So the one that's most common that that probably 
people uh, nowadays have heard of is is a, uh, um, a theory of the atonement called penal substitutionary atonement. Mm. And um, this this was uh, this came to fruition uh, is most common from the time of the Reformation on. And so some people like John Calvin and the Protestant reformers, um, they, they took this stance. And, and the basic idea is, so penal just means um, legal or forensic or like a courtroom sort of sure. imagery. Sure. Uh, so you're penalized if you break the law. Substitution, hopefully you can get that um, um, idea, is that you deserve the penalization. You deserve the punishment. Someone substitutes themselves uh, for you, mm-hmm. so it's very, uh, it's a very, you know, uh, just in the name itself, you can kind of grasp what what this position is. But basically, if the wages of sin is death, so when Adam and Eve sinned, all of mankind was was sentenced to death. In other words, mm-hmm. eternal separation from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, the Judge, you know, says uh, you deserve death as a result of breaking my law, and uh, Jesus receives that penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, that is due for our sin. So you can think of, you know, uh, Joel just preached on Sunday, Isaiah 53, that he was counted as cursed by God, but he he was struck stricken for us, right, right. Uh, for the sins of other people, right? right. So, um, so basically, what, what what is going on here is Jesus is taking legal responsibility for sinners. Sure. And uh, so there's a big word that um, uh, that's uh, in in this uh, position called imputation. So to impute just means uh, you're taking responsibility for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it means, uh, so I think it's in Romans 3 where, uh, maybe it's Romans 4 where David says, do not impute my sins against me. Don't hold my sins against me. Um, Jesus takes the blame for our sin uh, the, the, uh, and, and therefore the uh, what, what is due to us. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so the con- sort of some of the concepts here is that God is a righteous judge; sin mm-hmm. needs to be punished, and then Jesus takes that punishment. Jeff, do you want to just kind of go through some of the passages that um, they might be taking yeah, this from? Yeah, some of the language here. Um, the first is Colossians chapter two, um, in verse thirteen, we read, "And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh." God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. By what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Hmm. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So in that, just as you described, it's very forensic, very, um, yeah, very forensic sort of language. Um, You hear this, okay... Um, this penalty that that we you know this legal debt that stood against us now has been nailed to to Christ's cross yeah. right it's been put on Christ um, it's been done away with the other one that I think of is Romans chapter three and you kind of hear that same that similar language let me just read it for us real quick I'll pick it up in verse twenty uh, let's go twenty three for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So even there, if God, you know, is going to actually, um, yeah, not just appear, but actually be a righteous judge, Mm -hmm. he has to um, punish our sin. Someone has to take the penalty for our sin. So, so penal substitution. Um, yeah, probably the most common of these videos, but go ahead can continue on here. Yeah. And there's that big word propitiation, right? That Jesus is propitiated. God is propitiated, meaning his wrath is satisfied. His anger against sin is satisfied because Jesus takes the punishment. That's right. So. That's right. All right. Um, so that's, yeah, that's probably the most well-known what we're going to do in this sort of step-by-step is go from the most well-known to, to maybe some less well-known, um, although the second one might. Anyways, the, the second one is very close to the first one. Um, it's, a, it's a view that was developed in the Middle Ages by a theologian named Anselm, um, and he wrote a very famous book called uh, Cure, Deus, Cure Deus Homo, Why God Became Man. And uh, the basic, uh, it sounds very similar to penal substitutionary atonement, but it's not quite... The same, but he basically said, "Well, man cannot pay his own penalty because man deserves death, right? He deserves eternal death. Uh, man is not eternal, therefore he cannot pay his own penalty, mm-hmm. um, and therefore God becomes man in order to offer an eternal payment." Um, but the the thing that's different about this one is just based. It's it's basically the sacrificial language that Anselm brings into this um, into this view. With uh, Calvin's view or the Reformation view, it's that Jesus takes he receives the wrath that is due or the punishment that is our due. In this view, in Anselm's view, he basically says because Jesus is God, he offers this eternally um, meritorious sacrifice. Um, so you can think of penal substitutionary atonement as down. God, God is uh, meting out death on Jesus. In this one, Jesus is offering something eternally significant up to the Father. And so it's, it's got a lot of sacrificial language. Jesus offers himself to God as an atoning sacrifice, as a sacrifice that covers our sins. And uh, it can do that because he is also God. He, mm. he offers something that is eternally significant. And so his obedience and his satisfaction, oh, that's another big word in this one, is satisfaction. Mm. Jesus satisfies um, so it's it's very positive instead of negative in the in the other one, and it brings in all of this Old Testament language of, you know, how in the Old Testament they would offer up their sacrifices to God. The smoke would kind of go up to heaven, and God would be pleased with that sacrifice. Mm. That's what Anselm is trying to do, and he comes from a very um, sort of medieval, whereas if uh, a medieval sort of context where if I dishonor you, that that dishonor needs to be covered and atoned for right. and that, that sort of thing. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a good view. I mean, what do you think, Jeff? Do you think there's some biblical warmth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to read Hebrews nine. So um, yeah, sort of pulling some of the old Testament um, terminology, language, thread um, forward. How is that satisfied? How is that fulfilled in Christ? Writer of Hebrews says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So that, like you said, he's yeah. coming in. Um, sorry, I, I, then, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. 
for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So there again, you know, that same language of, of him entering into God's presence, entering into sort of, sort of the holy place of God, offering, making this sacrificial, mm. um, you know, atoning sacrifice um, for us on behalf of, of sinners like you and I. So, Yeah, and I think that's an interesting, you know, this idea of a priestly, op- he's a priest, he's a great high mm. priest, right, yeah. who offers up something to the Father. Mm. Um, that's all throughout the Bible. And uh, yeah, especially in the book of Hebrews, um, that Jesus is our great high priest. So yeah, so you have those two, uh, which are essentially legal. Um, uh, they bring in these legal sort of courtroom um, uh, images and some of the sacrificial. Um, and those are probably the two that uh, we're most familiar with here in the West. Hmm. Um, with these next few um ideas, we, we start getting away from the West and looking more towards the East. And, you know, one thing just to say, uh, not to go off on a rabbit trail, but, you know, if you were to um, talk to some, you know, a Christian that was from the East, they would have different concepts of what it means that Jesus died for our sins. And I think it's, you know, it's important to, to note that. Um, but we're going to, we're going to have one more medieval theologian before we do that. Yeah. So <laughs> I say that I spoke too soon. Anyways, so Abelard, Abelard, uh, uh, he he uh, was a uh, contemporary of, of Anselm, um, and uh, he he uh, did not like Anselm's theory. He put forth a theory called the moral influence theory. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really a great um, name for it, uh, but hopefully, as we describe it, you can see what what that name means. But I'm going to suggest a, a different um, idea behind it. But the basic idea behind this is that Abelard did not like the the idea that God would accept um, a sacrifice or, or that Jesus would have to be sacrificed or that Jesus would have to be punished. Um, maybe you've talked to a Christian that rejects uh, the penal substitutionary atonement because they don't like this idea that God has to uh, punish Jesus in order to forgive us. Well, that started a long ways back. You know, it's, it's been around. But he, he just felt like um, this idea of the atonement did injustice to the love of the idea that God is love, right? Mm-hmm. So God is just, but he's also loving. And um, he, he, he loves sinners. He wants to save sinners. And so um, he wanted to stress the love of God and how the love of God um, can actually, if, if we're gripped enough by the love of God, um, it can actually cause a deep-rooted repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, m- maybe uh, you can think of a time in your life when you were, maybe at a worship service or you, uh, you hear this captivating sermon and you're just so gripped by the fact that God loves you so much. Mm. Um, it, it causes something in your heart to change, right? Um, and so um, uh, Abelard just basically said, listen, look at the cross. It's God dying for you. Mm. That in and of itself is a converting effect on a sinner. It, oh my goodness, God loved me so much that he would go to these depths of, of dying for me. Wow. That, 
So he basically said that it, it, it is the love on such great display in the cross that actually has converting power. Sure. And so, you know, moral influence, I mean, influence, I think is a good word, but maybe captivating the captivating love of God, right? Put on display on the cross. Once you see it, once you see how far God would go, you're, it's almost like you're sort of wooed into repenting and you can't help but love God. And um, you, you want to respond, you know, it makes me think of what Paul says in St. Corinthians that it's the love of Christ that compels us, right? Mm. It's, it's the love of Jesus Christ for sinners that, that compels us. Um, so we, we might um, reject this as an idea in and of itself, like independent. Um, but I think that there's something to this. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? I think it's probably the, uh, I want to say the most accessible, Maybe the most palatable view, um, yeah, based purely upon the things that we like to fixate upon and mm. like to, uh, yeah, the things that that um, are compelling. That, that being the love of God, I think. I mean, you think about it, even even the other day, I was watching uh, one of the uh, collegiate basketball games, March Madness, and. There was yet another guy kind of in view of the camera with John 3.16 poster, oh. <laughs> you know, which, I mean, you think about the language of for God so loved yeah, the world right. yeah. that he gave his only begotten son, you know, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is, and he loved us that much that his mm. son, who was eternally at his right hand in his presence, um, that they together decided, hey, this... Um, this is how we rescue mankind, right? So I think, yeah, I mean, it certainly it is compelling, right? In, in, in a certain extent, or even Romans 5, 8 that we yeah. referenced earlier, um, that that God demonstrates yeah, his own right. love toward us, like mm-hmm. in that while we were still sinners, Christ, here comes his son, you know? Um, they're together partnering in this work. Christ is taking on this excruciating um, yeah, litany of things, litany of sufferings, you know, mm. for our for our behalf. Like that's how much he loved and wanted to bring us to himself. So mm. I think it is. It's. I mean, it's certainly biblical. You know, it's certainly yeah. biblical, and probably the one that's what I meant by the most accessible is like. I think of even with my children, they can they can understand mm. that. You know, they yeah. can understand. Okay, I do do bad things. I say things that you know are sinful they're they're dark they're um you know they're they're rotten at their core and so i i i need and god loved me so much Mm. that he he made a way for me you know so yeah yeah i mean i i the more the more that i've the longer i've been a christian the more i can appreciate this one just in the sense that you you're captivated by God's love. I, mm. I think that that I like that. But obviously, you know, I think as evangelical Christians, we would just say, you know, but on its own, you know, it needs to be paired with with others, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the next one is we're looking to the east now. Let's um, go east, baby. Let's go east. Let's go east. <laughs> so this is uh, this is probably the oldest position, atonement mm-hmm. atonement theory position that the early Eastern fathers. Um, so you can think of the the uh, Eastern Orthodox theologians, you know Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nazianzus, um, 
you know, th these guys that were giants, you know, in, in the uh, early centuries of the church. Mm. But it's Christus Victor, that's Latin for, um, uh, you know, Christ the victor, uh, Christ the one who has victory. Um, this one, you know, it does stress the cross, but even more than the cross, it stresses the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So these other ones look almost exclusively to the cross. Now, that, that's not necessarily true. I mean, but this one, this one has uh, quite an emphasis on the resurrection. Um, but this, this view understands um, the, the, the thing that keeps us from God are these uh, powers. Um, and um, we'll get into some of the, the Pauline ideas that are, that are here. But basically, sin is a power that uh, has us in chains. It's an enemy mm -hmm. that has, uh, has us bound, uh, in, enslaved. Uh, death is the last enemy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And it's it's uh, he he it's almost like he personifies these things as like arch enemies of of God's people, and um, Luther will even go on to describe the law as an enemy to be defeated, and the overall idea here is that Jesus is like this great warrior who instead of you know defeating the Romans like the Jew, like the Jewish people thought that he would, he he actually does battle with these evil powers that. Um, uh, yeah, we can we can even include uh, demons and the devil. Uh, you know, Paul calls the devil the prince of, of the power of the age and so on. Mm. So the idea here is that Jesus goes and does battle with mm. these powers and he defeats them. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of the early church fathers, they, they also had this idea. And you can see that if you look at some of the uh, Eastern icons, mm. I love iconography because it's able to display theology in a way that words can't. But it it it, uh, it had this idea of like death is like this huge fish, mm. and it grabs on the Christ, but it but all it got was the hook, right? Right. right. And so Jesus uh, defeats death, and death is taken. You know, he's he's taken up and and defeated. He he gets stuck on the hook. Mm. Um, or there's like another one where death swallows Christ, but Christ is so righteous he makes death sick, and so death has to <laughs> throw him right. up or whatever. Right. Yeah. I just love these imagery, these images, um, and it's just that just this idea that Jesus does battle with the powers that have mm. enslaved mm. us, mm. Um, and so we're we're getting sort of out of the courtroom, mm. right, and we're going more towards the battlefield, uh, kings and. Um, enemies mm -hmm. and you know that that sort of thing and um mm -hmm. i i just i like this position because one thing that it does do is it pairs it's able to pair the cross mm -hmm. and even holy saturday you know one of the um now i could just go on forever about this but one of the other um doctrines that the eastern church has that um the reformed they have it but but not not as much it's called the harrowing of hades where mm -hmm. it's this idea that jesus went down into death yeah. And he, um, and there are some passages like First Peter right. and um, right. where he pronounces his defeat right. of the evil powers when he's in the realm of the dead. And then on the third day, he rises up in victory. So I, I love it. I think it's all just fun. I think it's mm -hmm. fun to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but I guess the question would be, so this is sort of more of a battle imagery. Is, is there any biblical images that we could bring in here? I'm glad you asked, Lucas, because <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, yes, there is. And I think we're seeing that, you know, throughout all these. Like, these guys weren't 
you know, just in a vacuum coming up. Yeah, with they, this they weren't idiots, right? right? Yeah, like, yeah. So a couple of passages I read, I, it, it, you know, intentionally um, did not include uh, Colossians chapter two. We read verses 13 and 14. I did not include 15 for this particular view, Christus, uh, Christus Victor. Um, but let me read this again. This is Colossians chapter two, verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so that's penal substitution, yeah. forensic language, yeah. legal language. Yeah. Then verse 15 reads, he disarmed mm. the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him that is in his son in the victor christ jesus so um yeah there you have this like you described like the romans too little of a thing for christ to defeat like <laughs> he was defeating a power far greater than that i think another passage is uh second corinthians chapter 2 uh verse 14 because in christ it says but thanks be to god who in christ always leads us in triumphal procession um, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So you think about, yeah, I mean, a, a Roman emperor coming back from battle, mm -hmm. a, a general coming back from battle, the processions that they would yeah. have, the entire you know city would gather and throw, um, yeah, all sorts of fragrances and flowers and kind of line the path as the chariot would come down kind of victoriously, triumphantly, um, celebrating this victory with, um, with the entire city, with the entire mm. nation, you know? And so in the same way, yeah, there's a lot of New Testament language that speaks to yeah, this particular in the Roman sort of uh, ideas because Paul was a Roman citizen, yeah. right? He was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. Yeah. yeah I mean, it makes me think of Ephesians four that talks mm. about the giving of spiritual gifts where, where his, uh, well, I guess we're his prisoners. He brought back from war, right? right. But then he gave us these these rich gifts. Mm -hmm. There's Romans seven that talks about, or is it Romans seven that talks about the power of sin? No, that's six. Mm -hmm. uh, sin is this almost like this pharaohtype power. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah, I just think it's a fun uh, way to view it, and mm -hmm. I, it's, I think, yeah, it's embedded in the New Testament. Um, it's kind of assumed there. Yeah. So Christus Victor. And then the last one I just want to bring in is just from a guy named Irenaeus. And he has a, he has a view that's not easy um, to describe, but it, and it's got a weird name. It's called recapitulation. Mm. Um, and literally that's just a Latin um, word that means to, uh, to rehead or to restart. Mm. Um, and this, this last theory puts a stress. What I love about this theory is it, um, puts a stress on the entire life of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go down in my notes a little bit because I, I wrote it better down here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but basically what, what Irenaeus says is that Jesus, and he's picking up on Ephesians 1, uh, which talks about um, that God uh, uh, restarts or reheads humanity in Christ. But then he's also picking up this idea of Jesus as the second Adam. And so Jesus comes to obey and to um, offer himself to God in a way that no human being has ever been right. able to do. Right, right. And what he, his particular idea is that 
as Jesus lives his life, every stage of his of, of human life is uh, fulfilled and redeemed. Mm. So why did Jesus become a baby? Well, he became a baby uh, to redeem babies. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> he became a carpenter to redeem um, the common the common working man, right? Mm. He died to redeem the dead. Mm. So it's almost like he 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 descends down into our world and he kind of picks up the broken pieces. Mm. Of everyone's life, hmm. and uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Irenaeus thought that Jesus had become an old man. He must have become an old man because he has to redeem yeah. old right. people. Right? <laughs> He's got to. Um, yeah. So he thought that Jesus died in his fifties, and of oh. course, we know that that's not true. But, but the the idea here is every aspect of Jesus's life is redemptive. It's it redeems, and so he's the second Adam, the new Adam, and mm-hmm. as he goes, he's just. And uh, you can think of it like when Jesus heals uh, people, just his his touch heals them. Well, through the incarnation, God has touched every aspect of human life right. and has redeemed right. it. Right. So um, I, I like this because it puts a stress on every aspect of Jesus's life. And, you know, the Reformation also did this too. They talked about the active obedience of Jesus right. as being very important, right. not just his death. But what, what right. do you, what, I mean, do you want to take that Ephesians or, or do you have something else? Well, a couple of passages that, that might speak to this. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. So every stage of human life, he's filling it full mm, okay, yeah. of so like, okay, this is what it would look like to <laughs> live through this season completely oriented toward God, mm-hmm. you know, loving God and loving people the yeah. way that God intended, the way that God designed. So like one thing I, I think of as you were, I thought, yeah, that's, dude, it's super compelling, man. I do. Recapitulation I do. Is, is a couple of passages. Like Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect mm-hmm has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So implication there is like, yeah, like exactly. He's redeeming mm. every, you know, decision, every stage of life, every circumstance in every way we've, you know, fallen short or not filled that full of, you know, God intended glory and purpose. Mm. He's filling it full. Um, another one in that is he, excuse me, first Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 45, um, and you already kind of brought this up, I guess, just this whole last Adam, you know, um, language that we'll, I'm sure, stumble upon later as we continue to talk here. But um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Um, But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born um, the image of the man of dust, we shall also also bear the image of the man of heaven. So just the idea that that's what Christ is doing. Yeah. He's bringing us into... Um, this kind of new humanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's recapitulating um, humanity in the way that God intended it to be. Yeah.
Yeah, so I, I, I think it's super super cool. And, and the thing I love about this Satoma theory is just how all-inclusive it is, right? You know, moral influence is just kind of like, well, I feel like with moral influence, you kind of have to latch it on to other theories for it to really work. So, yeah, I just really like it. So I, I, I you haven't been able to tell, I really like last year. <laughs> <laughs> just that's all right. So but that's, I mean, okay, so to kind of restate all of them, we talked about penal substitution. Uh, we talked about Al Anselm's view, um, which is similar but more sacrificial in in, um, in language, more sort of Old Testament um imagery there hebrews like imagery there mm -hmm. um so penal substitution anselm uh, moral influence christus victor and then um this kind of recapitulation that christ is reheading a, a new humanity so to speak so um which of these lucas is <laughs> is the correct view which is the right view i um, mean so which one do you usually like orient toward when you think of the cross Mm. I guess that's, that's a good, that's a good, that's something that, you know, for, for me, I, I like this for, for me, you know, especially like if I'm in prayer and I'm thinking of my union with Christ, I'm thinking mm. of like, I, like Luther, for instance, he brought in, the, um, if you read his shorter catechism, small catechism, rather, he, in daily prayers, he would always bring in baptism mm. um, and talk about how the Adam is dead. Mm. The new man is alive. Right. And so right. now you need to you need to live into that new mm. identity, as, mm. uh, and you need to drown the old Adam. Is what mm. is what he would say. So I, um, for, for me, it's this Christus Victor idea is like Jesus has killed the old man through mm. his death, and now he's made me a new man in mm. in his resurrection. Um, but I, I think you know you know obviously the the legal aspect of forgiveness is very important too. I mean, yeah. I need to know that I'm forgiven. Um, I need to know that. God does not count my sins against me, as David says in Romans four. He doesn't impute them against me. Um, so I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a few, maybe a few would be important to me. I don't know. I think uh, this was, you know, intentionally a trick question for our <laughs> listeners: which view is the right one? Yeah, uh, because there, yeah, there is truth to all of these. Yeah, you know? yeah. I like to. Kind of describe it as a diamond with many different sides, like all each side, each each kind of view you get, each perspective yeah, you get, right. as the scripture draws out, you know, these many different aspects of this treasure that mm -hmm. is is Christ, um, is is the good news of of Christ's you know finished work for you and for me. They're all beautiful, brilliant, compelling in their own right, but it's actually really a good thing to mm. be exposed to all the to different, all yeah, yeah, all the different aspects. So, yeah, and I, I think the more that you can integrate all of them into your your spirituality, I think the better. I mean, um, so yeah, trick question. Um, glad you caught that. Uh, trick question. I think probably <laughs> most of our listeners, hopefully. Um, yeah, so even through the scriptures that we referenced, yeah, that all of these have some, um, yeah, some some place in in the yeah the the biblical, uh, yeah the the biblical view this mm. this many multi dimensional sort of view of of Christ's atoning work and of Good Friday. So yeah, um, 
Yeah, and so maybe we move on to this next part, which is um, instead of seeing the cross in terms of a, th- a theory of its, you know, the way that it works, you know, that might be too scientific, you know, trying to isolate each one. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's better to look at the cross as this drama unfolding mm-hmm. uh, that includes not simply the death, but the resurrection, not simply the death and resurrection, but the incarnation mm-hmm. and the whole entire life of of Jesus. And um, so we're going to have a Good Friday service and what we've entitled it is Journey into Darkness. Mm-hmm. And what what one um, one thing that I think is is helpful is to just see the, the the entire story of Jesus so birth life death resurrection ascension um, as this dramatic story of God mm. entering into our world and uh, saving us from our fallen existence mm. um, or, or we, we could say that God um, participates, through his entering into our world, um, he participates in our fallen existence, our um, death. He participates um, uh, uh, in 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 the, in the powers right uh, that that are overcoming our world, and he defeats them. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of see it like that, you can kind of integrate everything, sure. right? Sure. So you have the incarnation, you have the obedient life of Jesus mm-hmm. as as God being righteous on our behalf. You have his death as God taking upon himself. Mm-hmm all the powers and the evil and all that, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then his resurrection is defeating him. Mm. Uh, Gustav Allen, he, he was a Lutheran theologian a while ago. And he, he basically. Can we just to, pause real quick? Say, yeah. Just say any dude, his name is Gustav. <laughs> Gustav. Who was a theologian. You just kind of, your ears you, perk up yeah, a little you, bit. You okay. want to pay attention. I you want to pay attention to this guy. Anyway. So yeah. I, I mean, I like him. He's, he's got a, a book on the atonement where he outlines, he's Lutheran, obviously, so he wants to connect Luther, but he outlines what he calls the classic view of the atonement, mm-hmm. which, um, which is close to um, Christus Victor, but he, he wants to incorporate all everything together. And what he says is, if, if a lot of times when we think about Jesus and his work, we, we kind of splice it up, right? Mm-hmm. We have the incarnation over here. We have the atonement over there. We have his life, you know. And he says, no, let's just see everything as this sort of one big movement of God mm. into our existence, uh, getting rid of our sin. And then he, he says, in, in uh, he has a book um, on Christian theology where he says that the incarnation is actually perfected at the cross because um, he says the cross can be seen as sort of this completion of god's journey into our darkness mm. which i kind of mm. i kind of like that yeah, yeah. um J- jesus doesn't come simply into nazareth or whatever and he journeys all the way into death and mm. he takes that death upon himself mm. and then in the resurrection he mm. he overcomes it so i i you know um hopefully you can see how that might um assimilate all of the you know all of the theories and Depending on where you are in the day, you know, say you really need the, that legal framework where you need to know that God has uh, forgiven you or you really need to know that Jesus has defeated death or, you know, whatever. You, you can uh, think about those as needed, but assimilating them all together and seeing the cross really as God's journeying, his entering into our darkness 
I think it's, I just think it's helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially as we head toward um, Holy Week and, and Good Friday and then um, get ready to celebrate an empty tomb on Easter yeah. Sunday. Um, I think that's exactly what we want to do is, is to try to, yeah, in a sense, um, put ourselves, um, yeah, live with Christ in, in the, the story, um, live, live with him and his participating into, you know, going into our darkness, completely into our darkness, mm-hmm. all the way into, you know, all the way into death and, and into the tomb. So I think it does, um, you know, I, there, there's good, you know, like you said, I mean, I think as we work through um, different parts of our life, different seasons of our life, Mm. you know, some of these views are going to be more pronounced yeah. in that season. And we're going to want to kind of, oh, like, so it's not, all of them are significant. All of them have, you know, some biblical standing and precedent to them. And we should want to kind of gaze at the diamond from all the different mm. aspects. And, um, um, and, and yet at the same time, I think, you know, there comes through a calendar year, these times where we can kind of gaze at the entire diamond as one or try to do that as best we can. Um, and, and certainly Good Friday is one of those opportunities. So, Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about the Good Friday service then. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> Into darkness. Into darkness. So I want everybody to come to this service. Um, I'm going to be there. I thought about not going, but um, <laughs> just kidding. Now, so the idea with this service is to dramatize mm-hmm. the story of God um, entering into our darkness um, and to give us um, th- that that diamond type uh, view of the of the atonement. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, this is what is called came to be called in the uh, Middle Ages a tenebrae service. It actually started in a mon- in monasteries. Mm-hmm. Where they would, uh, they, they it was uh, more more or less uh, more individualized prayer services, but uh, they incorporated it into the church, and it's it's become a great part of um, the Christian uh, faith. But it's it's basically the flip side of Advent. So whereas Advent we light candles progressively throughout the month, mm. in this service we're gonna um, blow out candles, mm. and the idea is that uh, the light of the world has come into our world, but now he's being snuffed out. Mm. And so we're going to have, um, this is going to be, uh, we're going to have five, four readings. Uh, Jeff is going to preach a sermon. We're going to sing songs. But after every reading, uh, there, uh, somebody is going to read, then they're going to uh, blow out a candle. And uh, you'll, you'll find that the room will get darker and darker and darker. And it's what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to help us to imagine and participate in this great journey of God the Son into our darkness, mm-hmm. so that by the end of the service, it's pretty dark. You know, you, you'll have the stage lights, you'll have the, um, you know, the projectors and all that. Um, but it's just helped. It's meant to help us feel it. You know, uh, see it, uh, sense it in, in our in our hearts. And uh, we're going to walk out in silence because that's God is dead. God the Son has died. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to walk out in darkness, in silence, thinking about it. And then we'll come back on Easter morning mm-hmm. with a great celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I maybe I could read this Robert Jensen quote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I put two quotes here, but I, 
I remember reading this a couple years ago and I just thought, oh, that's an interesting, but the more that I read, I read it every year because I, I think it's on my Facebook timeline. But um, So Robert W. Jensen, one of my favorite theologians, but he said, he basically, uh, he's asking, how do you really understand what the cross is? What does the cross do? And he says that the church's primal way of understanding the crucifixion is that we live this narrative and that we re rehearse the canonical or the biblical story in the context of scripture's encompassing narrative. And so that the rehearsing becomes a word event in our own lives. And by that, he just means like we're reading the words and it's like it's happening to us like all over again, even though it was 2000 years ago. Yeah. And then he says what fundamentally must happen in the church as right interpretation of what happened on the cross, the crucifixion. Is that is that we attend a traditional Good Friday liturgy? <laughs> Basically, go to church on Good Friday and read the story together. Mm. Um, and he he brings in this this idea that uh, the Anglican Church had brought in, but it's um, it's called it's a creeping to the cross. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so together we're kind of creeping to the cross together. We're reading the story, and that's what we're going to do. Is mm. we're going to read two whole chapters of Matthew, mm. or maybe it's three. I forgot, but um, a lot of scriptures can be read together so that we can uh, really get it. Mm. So um, I'm excited about it. I, I love this service. Um, any, any thoughts that you have, Jeff? No, I just, I mean, I'm excited for it as well. I think it's, uh, man, sometimes I think it is uncomfortable for us to um, set aside time to gaze on something that is, uh, man, it's, there's a sobriety to it. There's a sorrowfulness to it. There's a, you know, it is. We're, we're in a sense, as we enter into the story ourselves, it's sad, man. It's, you know, um, those first disciples of, of Christ's must have um, been so, so beside themselves with uh, just anguish that, you know, he, he had died. He had, yeah, um, yeah he had been, buried in, in a, in a, yeah, in a, in a tomb. But I think, uh, I think that's also a, a good thing and a necessary thing. And one that, um, I love how he describes that as a creeping <laughs> to the cross, you know, um, it, it's, it, we need to feel that we need yeah. to feel that and reckon with it. And yeah. I think of like, I think a lot of times in our, our, you know, kind of our testimonies, we talk about how, yeah, this um, this old life of sin and and the darkness that I was experiencing, and um, but then you know you, you know then in two thousand you know ten um, I I accepted Christ and right. he you know um, but to journey back to okay but when did he you know what what was the pivotal moment by by, you know, the, the pivotal moment, the sort of crescendo of the redemptive story, even in my life that yeah. happened where Christ saved me. Well, um, that was at the cross. And yes. so we need to go back there and um, continue to go back there and continue to celebrate what Christ did on our behalf. So, Dude, so somebody asked Carl Bart. I'm, uh, I love Carl Bart. Carl Bart was a good Calvinist. So they said... Uh, so, so Bart, when were you saved? Hmm. And he said, 2000 years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think is just so true. Like when you, 
when you think of the actual application of salvation, right, that's the common uh, reform language. Yeah, okay, 10 years ago, and I believe, but when was it accomplished? I mean, that's when Jesus mm. died, you yeah. know, so, um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, the goal of this podcast is to spiritually form our own people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, thanks so much. And if you have questions, comments, ideas for future podcasts, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at podcast at northwestbible.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.